Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 72 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. Before we get into today's show, I'd like to tell everyone about our live interactive sci-fi series here at ButcherBird Studios. It is called Orbital Redux. We are five episodes in and we have three more to go. They air live at 6 p.m. Pacific time every Thursday night for the next three Thursdays. And when we say the show is live, we mean everything is live from the performances to the effects to the music. You can watch our show live on Twitch or at ProjectAlpha.com, which is the subscription service of The Nerdist and Geek and Sundry. If you do not already have a subscription to Project Alpha, you may sign up with code Orbital and get 60 days for free, which is more than enough time to check out the eight episodes of Orbital Redux. So if you are interested in interactive live sci-fi, head over to OrbitalRedux.com and find out how to join in the fun. And speaking of fun, today's show is one of those fun shows. We are speaking with Lindsay Hupp, self-proclaimed jock art nerd scientist entrepreneur. She has worked as a paddling guide in the Grand Canyon and is the accidental inventor of the Huppy Bar, a bar which she will tell you is the best thing you will put in your mouth all day. Lindsay and I met at Buffalo Park in Flagstaff, Arizona earlier this year and sat down one morning to talk all about her life outdoors and her life as the business person behind the Huppy Bar. So let's go talk to Lindsay Hupp. Lindsay Hupp, and I live here in Flagstaff, Arizona. I grew up in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. But I am currently chasing after lots of rainbows in the desert, in the canyons, and in a, a little bar called the Huppy Bar. So very busy, always looking for the next adventure. So from Columbus, Ohio to Flagstaff, Arizona, two places that I imagine aren't terribly similar. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> which is what I was looking for when I left Ohio. I grew up there 18 years. When I was 17, I took a road trip with my older sister out west, ending up in Tucson for three weeks. And we came through Flagstaff. I'd been to Colorado once as a kid, but it was my reintroduction to the west as a 17-year-old who was ready to go see the world beyond the streets of Columbus, Ohio. And it just hit me right where I needed to be hit at the time. I loved it. It smelled great. Pine trees. I could go snowboarding. Is that I, how you typically choose I, the places yeah, you live? By, by scent? Yeah. <laughs> it, it just had that feeling of, yes, I like this and I could do more of this. And I randomly ran into some people who had gone to school at NAU, Northern Arizona University, and encouraged me to apply for a graphic design program. After three more weeks in Arizona and in Tucson and seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time, it was just a no-brainer. And so I applied because I was right 17 looking for schools, got a scholarship, and then bam, that was my ticket. It was kind of, the decision was made for me at that point. So, so how were the smells in Columbus, Ohio? <laughs> there. 
<laughs> I don't know. I'd been there for so long, I couldn't smell anything anymore. But not as good as pine trees and fresh mountain air. <laughs> so, so Flagstaff is interesting, right? Because I think a lot of people, including my introduction to Flagstaff, is that it's considered like the gateway to the Grand Canyon. And I, and I think to a certain degree, people overlook it entirely. They're like, oh, yeah. that's where you go because that's how you get to the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And a little older than you were, you said you were 17. I was probably 21, 22 when mm-hmm. I came through Flagstaff, specifically to go to the Grand Canyon. Is that what brought you through Flagstaff? Or did you? Um, were you actually one of the people who saw the greater worth of the area outside mm, of that? No, definitely Grand Canyon was what brought us to Flagstaff. And it was on the route to go to Tucson, which is where my sister was doing a mm-hmm. physical therapy clinical at the time. Yeah, it was on the map because of Grand Canyon, m- most specifically, to stop here and be here. It's hilarious looking back now because my other sister and our aunt met us in Grand Canyon and we all signed up to do a rafting trip in Grand Canyon and we thought we were going whitewater rafting in Grand Canyon for one day and I had no clue that that wasn't an option. <laughs> no idea what the layout was. Sometimes, Did you only have one day to spare? Well, we could yeah, we kind of had like one day to do Grand Canyon as you right, do, right, right. you know. Yeah. And so we looked into it further and my aunt was like, you know, this is a flat water trip that's not even in the Grand Canyon. I don't know if we're gonna be into this and and we decided to not do it, which is funny. That's the that's the Glen Canyon Dam Down trip, which I've actually guided now. For, I did a month of that at one point, so got to see it finally. But we decided to do an overflight instead and do one of those scenic tours over Grand Canyon. Is it a helicopter tour? It was an air fixed wing, like oh, six-seater, okay. just the, the four of us in there in the pilot, and had this incredible experience flying over, saw the confluence. I remember Vishnu Temple. Enya was playing in the headphones, so it was just this really surreal <laughs> experience. And it's like, the wow. Smell, the smells of pine the trees smells and the, of sounds, of trees, of the sounds of Enya were just <laughs> overwhelming me. And that certainly played into my, you know, the first little bits of the love affair with Grand Canyon. That's the only time I've ever had motion sickness, too, is that flight. Yeah, so that was the first experience, really, that I had with Grand Canyon, that trip. So when you were growing up in Columbus, what was your life like? Were you getting outside there? Are you just walking around smelling random things, looking to the future? (laughs) I was a little rascal when I was a little kid. They said I wanted to throw me in the attic and lock the door and throw away the key. No, I was a good kid. I was very very active, though. We were very sports-oriented. I lived in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, and and we bounced around to a couple different suburbs when I was younger. One of the transitions was in middle school to go to a better school district and a better swim team because we were swimmers most primarily. I was year-round swimming since I was like eight years old. Swimming, I played t-ball and soccer and all these things and mostly organized sports. My dad was national champion decathlete in 1971. He's actually going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame this September, Ohio State University. So shout out to him. But um, congratulations. Happy dad. Dad, happy dad. (laughs) He was a huge influence on our athleticism for sure. And so he helped to motivate us and introduce us to all these different sports. But it was most all organized sports. And I swam up and down a swimming pool most of my childhood and then got into track and field. He was a decathlete, so it was a kind of a natural transition for me to look into that. And he was helped coach me, and so we had a really great time. And I, you know, did well, but I was pretty competitive. But I just didn't have a super hard competitive drive in it, and I just wanted to do all sorts of things. I actually ended up playing basketball as well in high school. Um, had a lot of fun with that. So super engaged in sports throughout my youth. 
never took a dance class, never did cheerleading. And then the other half of me was in art as well. So I was always a drawer. I was a painter. Um, I liked to do the visual arts. And that led into a lot of my time in high school as well. I found myself torn between spending all this time being a varsity athlete, but then not really having the drive to push to all of my time into that corner. So I was also looking into my my art discipline and actually went to vocational school in high school for for art and design and and got some scholarships to colleges and did well with that, but ended up actually not even pursuing that in college so much. So you're a bridge between two worlds that don't always coexist peacefully together, the jock world no. and the artist world. No, I know. You get to be that bridge. <laughs> oh, and then I went to school for biology, so throw a little <laughs> drop of science in oh, there. And then you're, did you bring peace to your entire school? Yeah, yeah, totally. I tried. Yeah, I kind of went from like being super jock preppy kid into like being artsy fartsy you know hippie chick kind of thing it's pretty funny and then you put on a lab coat and became a scientist yeah well that's the one thing i've avoided in my biology (laughs) career luckily so you spend a lot of time doing typical organized team sports in columbus you come check out flagstaff you've swam constantly since you were a young child and at some point you said well let me get out of this water and get into a raft So how did that come about? Right. There was some time in between there of me breaking into this world of outdoor, the outdoor sports world, the recreation. Oh, my gosh, there's a mountain over there. I want to go up that mountain. And that sense of exploration and seeing new things and then the friendships that come with that and perpetuate that whole world. So that happened as soon as I got to Flagstaff. I have friends that I met in college. And I remember the first hike, pretty much one of the first hikes I really, like a real hike that I've ever done outside of like family vacations to Colorado when I was 10 was up this mountain right over here. She's pointing at a mountain yeah. near us for those of you who cannot see. It's right behind us, Mount Eldon. It's called the Heart Trail. We all nickname it the Heart Attack Trail because it was quite vertical. I remember we had talked about doing it when we were drunk one night. It was like freshmen in college and then did it the next morning because we were like, we're owning up to it. It's not just drunk talk. So we went up and hiked it and kicked our butts. But it was just like, all right, I'll have more of this, please. Thank you. <laughs> and so that... So you reached the summit, puked all over puked the top. Puked all over the place. High five. <laughs> Let's do some more. And, you know, it was that just segued into like, okay, this is for me. I like this. I don't need to be on an organized team. I want to do this my way. <laughs> so you're like, now I'm going to be a jock, an artist, <laughs> yeah. a scientist, and an outdoor person. Take that life. And, you know, what was next was I, so I was in school here in Flagstaff and NAU, and a friend of mine and I looked into doing trail crew work. Oh, you were already deciding to give back to the I community was already, early on. Yeah. Look at you. And I didn't even know what I was giving back to. <laughs> but it was more about, I was just ready to be outside and do something new. And I was strong. I was capable. I liked to have fun. And I didn't know where to start because I was just like, what's a backpack and how do you even put it on? So... I applied to a couple different youth corps. One of them turned me down, the local one here, and I was like, what? Have you gone back since? Yes, and they hired me, and they, yeah, anyway, (laughs) but I came later. But first, the first one was the Southwest Youth Corps up in Durango, Vallecito Lake is where it was at the time. And that, I think, was the most instrumental thing that I've ever done in my life on my own accord to build the foundation for my future life. It made me push myself in ways I'd never pushed before. I mean, as an athlete, you do that in the pool or in the track, but this was a different way of pushing. I mean, if the 70 days that we were out working, 50 some of those days it rained. 
and it was cold and we were in the mountains and it was just hard work, the hardest I've ever worked, even to this day, physically. And and the friends that I made and how much fun that we had and, and the lessons I learned about work ethic and like, you know, you, you get out what you put in and, and the sense of accomplishment, the, the feeling of pride really when you do something really cool and we were in this incredible place we had we were working on 13,000 foot mountains in Colorado and building these trails that people were using to get to these incredible places and like this is rad love the hell out of that and have made some incredible friendships when it came to the end it was I knew that I wasn't going to do that forever because it's really hard. <laughs> it's it too tiring. It's too, to well, 70 days, you not said? Not that I didn't like the, that at part of it. It's just that I knew that 10 years into this, I would be a crippled old woman, you know? like, <laughs> And I was like 19 at the time. So it just wet the palate for everything else. And I did a little, I did another season around Northern Arizona area. So, so how does that look? Uh, explain it to us a little bit, because you said it lasted for 70 days, right? Right. So, so is that 70 days hiking out and coming back to civilization or 70 days staying in the back? country working on things it was we generally did about a week at a time so we stayed as a unit the whole time and we traveled in a van it's like there is anywhere from five to seven of us traveling in a 15 passenger van with all of our stuff throughout that 10 weeks and we would come into town periodically every usually every weekend to do laundry get more food things like that but more or less we would be out in the field somewhere either van camping or hiking in somewhere to do work for that week or sometimes it would double into two weeks one time we went up into the collegiate peaks in Colorado for two weeks and worked up there out of backpacks and built trail. So this is carrying probably backpacks with all of your gear also that you need. So yeah, shelter, food, all of that. And yeah. then all of the trail maintenance tools. Yeah. Which I imagine were even heavier. Oh, totally. I mean, it's just hilarious to look back on it and like what we were doing. It's just like, what? <laughs> and not even really bad an eyelash because mm-hmm. I was 19, A, and B, everybody else was doing it. So you got to do it too. And C, it was kind of fun. kind of liked it. Sometimes we would hike like eight miles to work and then work for eight hours and then hike eight miles back. And then eat 14,000 calories and then go to bed and do it again. <laughs> I couldn't eat enough. Like, oh, yeah, I lost yeah, weight yeah, at the imagine. end of the season. I was just like, it was incredible. And it's, and that I've encouraged any young person who's come to me and kind of look for direction on like what to do, where to go, you know, especially in that high school, college zone. Uh, I just point them right to some kind of a youth core or like a trail crew or Go get your work ethic figured out. <laughs> Go get your... Yeah, how do people find that? I found it in one of the advisement offices in the forestry building in Flagstaff. I mean, now I'm sure you could pull it up online. So, I mean, would you just search for Youth Corps or trail maintenance? Or... Yeah. It's funny because years after that, I became friends with a lot of the Grand Canyon trail crew people and learned how much they got paid to do trail crew, which, I mean, they're not making millions, <laughs> but they got a heck of a lot more than I got paid as a Youth Corps in <laughs> Colorado. So, they're not... Not all created equal. Join your local <laughs> trail maintenance union before However, you apply National for National Park Trail Service, yeah, trail crews are going under other pressures right now, so I'm not sure how that's looking at this point due to funding issues. But regardless, I'm sure you can just go online and say Youth Corps, Trail Crew, Maintenance, Trail Maintenance, something of that nature. Or even there's there's a couple organizations here in town that are doing lots of trail trail work where people are getting paid. And then also there's, there's tons of opportunities to volunteer for that stuff too. Because it is giving back. It's like 
we got to put some time in. Nice. <laughs> this mosquito been driving me crazy. I just killed it. Wiped its blood and my own blood all over this table. So you realized, okay, I can't do this forever because one day I'll get older and my knees will hurt and I'll get sunburned all the time. Uh, I'll pass out from exhaustion eventually. So yeah. where'd you go from there? So I was into my college career at this point. There was a summer of, I don't even remember what I did. I think I just goofed off in Flagstaff and worked around town and had fun here. And then the two years later, I did another season of trail crew here in Flagstaff. And then after that, I was kind of looking to spread my wings a little bit and go elsewhere for school. And I ended up going to Hawaii and doing a year over there. Well, I did a half a year of school and then a half a year <laughs> surfing. That was going to be and my yeah, guess yeah. when you said like, half a year. And as then... soon as I showed up there, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. People go surfing? Like, what? Can you smell this can, place? It just smells delicious. <laughs> this, is, this is for me. So I just fell head over heels for that, of course, for a certain amount of time. And then the mountains were calling again. But I, yeah, it was a transition of kind of looking for things to do. I was getting ready to graduate college. And I had, in that time, one of those summers, I did my first river trip with a friend, a good friend of mine from Flagstaff here, ran into her at a bar and she's like, you should come on a trip. And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> like, How do you do that? And I was already savvy with boats. I'd done some sailing and grew up playing on lakes and things so I had boats were my thing I like boats I like boats I like the Grand Canyon <laughs> I'd done one hike down to Phantom with another friend who had some friends that worked down there so I'd been in the Grand Canyon once and and so anyways she invited me on to be an assistant for Arizona River Runners on a motor trip two-boat motor trip just the same kind of trips that they're running right now and I went on I showed up and I was as green as could be and followed directions and uh, was nice to people and worked really hard. <laughs> and by the end of it, I looked at her and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You guys get paid to do this stuff? And, and was, she was like, well, kind of. Kind. I mean, not, I mean <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, fresh air and sunshine. I've heard the river guide jokes. <laughs> yeah. I'd say 80% of them are about how they don't make any money. Yeah. Yeah. It's a river guide without a girlfriend. <laughs> Homeless. Homeless. Yeah. So, but far more than I made ever as a trail crew member or working at the orchid farm in Hawaii. <laughs> So it sounded like millions of dollars to me at the time. So yeah, she was like, you should totally get a job here. And then I got encouraged by other people. And so in that time of like the next summer, I, I'd been to Hawaii and came back. And the next summer I ended up getting on with some other people that were connected with her in that river trip that invited me on their trips to be an assistant because they knew that I could work hard and get along and have fun. And those were the three big ingredients that you need to be able to do to get a job. And how many days? are these trips that you're going on at this point? Those were just your classic motor trip. They're end-to-end. -end. They're like nine or ten days. And when you say motor trip, do you mean they're motorized boats? So, yeah, in Grand Canyon, we have the rowing or the paddle option, and then there's the motor boat which are these like 35 foot long rafts and about 15 feet wide. And they have a little 30 horsepower motor engine on them in, in the back. That's how the boat's powered and how we steer. About 16 people piled on the boat. And there's two boats per trip that go downstream. And it, gosh, I don't know the numbers as far as how it breaks down with passengers going downstream, but it is a, a large portion the way that commercial passengers go downstream in Grand Canyon. And it was a totally foreign thing to me at the time. I, this boat would look crazy. I had no intention of ever thinking that I could ever drive one or 
what but I knew that I could be a swamper I knew I could be an assistant I'm like I'll do that I'll go play at waterfalls and give people sodas and cook pancakes you know (laughs) do that all day that's way easier than doing trail crew or my next option that summer after I graduated college with a biology degree I was kind of going to go one of two ways either I was going to look into doing wildland firefighting because I thought I could just do a season or two of that and kind of live that life a little bit. The other was to, was this if the river thing worked out. And, um, Either water or fire, yeah, one or the other. Either so intensely warm or, or <laughs> relatively comfortably cool. There's a lot of similarities with the nature of, well, not really. A lot but harder to get burned yeah, on the river. Yeah. Firefighting is far more physically challenging. <laughs> so um, is this the first time you would hit whitewater? No, I'd done little uh, day trips as a kid. So you were um, at least a aware somewhat of I what you were in I was aware of what a rapid was, but on that trip with her in Grand Canyon, I was just, I might as well have been my first river trip. Yeah, I was, my eyes were like fully engaged, open the whole time. My jaw was dropped the whole time. I mean, there's, yeah, I was pretty speechless about the whole thing. So how long before you took a swim? Well, on purpose or? <laughs> Unintentionally. <laughs> Unintentionally. When did you get thrown from the raft? The, what happened first, my flip or my, the first one was I flipped my oar boat. There are two times that I've been unintentionally thrown into the river in Grand Canyon. And one of them, I flipped my boat in Dubendorf Rapid, which is not a place that people flip all that often. But I just had the right little recipe that day. Look, you want to be unique. <laughs> we understand this. And that's actually the first YouTube video that I ever saw was passenger uploaded the video of me flipping in Dubendorf. And I looked at it and <laughs> Wait, I was just the like, the very first the YouTube very video? The very first YouTube video. I was so far from any of that stuff at the time. I didn't give a rats. But I, I'll check that out. Like, I want to see my flip. I just think it's amazing that the very first YouTube video you ever saw was of yourself. It was. It was. I otherwise had no real need to go on there. And it was pretty new. I mean, that was... 2006, maybe? Five. My first full season of guiding was 2004. No, it was later than that. Maybe seven. It was a little while ago. That was the first, like, you're going swimming whether you like it or not. And then one other time, House Rock Rapid tossed me out. But knock on wood, I'm leaving tomorrow for a trip, so let's not talk too loudly about all these things. I think one of the things that people don't realize if they haven't been in whitewater is it's super fun while you're in the boat. Yeah. And then intensely terrifying if you're unintentionally out of the boat. Well, yes, yeah. If you don't have your wits about just certainly if you're panicking for sure. I mean, I had the wherewithal to know that I was going to be okay, although I was not happy with my situation. It was like, we're going to be okay, but like, this this does suck right now. I'm um, kind of a and feeling. And you got to flip the boat back over too, <laughs> and right? And then you got to flip the boat and all those things, which is part of the deal. So I didn't get too bent out of shape about it. You know, to flip an 18-foot fully loaded Grand Canyon oar rig is a little more of a deal than flipping like a little paddle boat or something. So I imagine you're probably carrying gear in there as well, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, Lashed you've got, we, it was rough. a 13-day trip. Miraculously, I lost one flip-flop and I lost my little bilge pump. And other than that, everything was good. It was kind of like I was just testing my rig, you know? I'm, I'm imagining you for the rest of the trip with one flip-flop on and one barefoot. Uh, I now I'm just like <laughs> sulking in the corner by myself. No one to get on my boat. There's two passengers. One of them was like totally freaked out, ash and white. The other one was going to pay me $1,000 to flip in the next rapid because <laughs> you had so much fun. And I was like, that's not happening, but thanks for your enthusiasm. <laughs> you get more tips when you flip the boat? Yeah, oh, they love it. Actually, I should not talk. I'm leaving tomorrow for a trip. Things will be fine. <laughs> You've stuck with this, right? Uh-huh. So this was some somewhere between 2004 and 2007. And since then, you've 
continued to do this. So, so how did that evolve? What kind of trips are you leading people on now? I mean, as far as my guiding career, I fully immersed myself in Grand Canyon. I haven't really worked as a guide and gotten paid per se anywhere else. Um, I haven't really cared to, to be perfectly honest. When I'm done guiding for the summer, I tend to not want to guide for a little while and just go do my own things. I was full-time guiding there for like 10 years and trip after trip after trip. You know, some people in their guiding careers, they do jump around a lot, you know, especially river guiding because rivers flow at different times or there's own short seasons. So you have to bob around to get this full schedule and live a life. And But I just fell right into this Grand Canyon world. So like in a lot of ways, I feel really fortunate in that regard. It was as much about running a river, but maybe, maybe even more so about being in Grand Canyon. Rivers are amazing and awesome and I love going down them, but the Grand Canyon is the only place like it in the whole world. I've never gotten tired of being there. And to be in that place and to show people that place has been more important to me than necessarily like fulfilling any wild river guiding dreams anywhere else, I guess. You're getting a different experience, right? Because you're inside this enormous canyon with these walls that rise as high as a mile or more mm-hmm. above above the surface of the water. Like you were saying, you, you can't really take a single day trip. No. So you're taking people for multiple days, giving them a camping experience yeah. below the rim. Some of these trips, right, go as long as 20 days, 21 days, something like that? Yeah, there are private permits that go in the winter. I think if you went all the way to Pier Ferry, you could do, I don't know what it's up to now, maybe 25-ish days somewhere in there, so almost a month. But even on that shorter end, people have to sign up. They can hike in or out and do a three or four day trip on a motor trip, which I don't, I don't recommend because <laughs> I think you should go for a longer period of time. <laughs> that's but, just warming up, right? Oh, it's just, I mean, you just don't even know what just happened to you. <laughs> um, yeah, that's part of the deal. Like you're with these folks, you're having this experience for at least a week. Usually that is like just enough time to get people starting to kind of like let her go and kind of feel a little bit about what it's about to be in a place and let it just kind of do its thing and let yourself go a little bit and stop worrying so much and take a few breaths and like this whole transformation that happens with people. I'm not going to say it's happened to everybody, but it sure happens to a lot of them. Give us some examples of some of those, what someone was like on day one oh and the difference by the end. Okay. Here's one that's popping out in my brain. All right. Great. It's probably the best um, one. Yeah. Well, there was a woman, I don't remember her name, where she was from or anything like that, but it was a motor trip that we were doing. It was a, she was going to be on for seven days. It was night one. We were camped on River Ride North Canyon, mile 20. And it was evening. We were called over. The guides were called over to her. Her husband was involved and she like had this breathing issue and trouble breathing. And it was basically presenting as this anxiety attack. And she was concerned that she was not going to be able to breathe and all these things. And it was this presenting as that if it was this life threatening emergency. Do you think it was that she was overcome by the whole experience or maybe fearful of what was to be ahead? Well, I guess anxiety attack wasn't the wor- weren't the words used at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, she was faking it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. She was faking it because she admitted to it later. She was really nervous about the whole thing. She didn't want to be there. She It was like we'd had one day, on, a half a day on the water. We didn't get on the water until like 10. And she was just really freaked out, didn't like it. I think she'd been talked into it by her husband or something like that. I'm sure that's not the first or last time you've nope, heard that story. Nope. So, um, but she took it so far as to like demand that she get flown out. There were moves getting made to make that happen. And that's really 
disrupting for the trip. It's really disrupting for everybody. And people on the rim and the helicopters, and they called her bluff. They're like, let's give her a minute and see what she's, you know. So no blades were called that night. And then the next morning, I had the trip leader. I wasn't the trip leader, but kind of addressed the situation again. And it was kind of like, you know, they're not going to fly in for this. And just let's give it some more time and see if you're okay. And, and then day by day, she she just kind of fell into the trip. And by the end of the trip, we kind of sometimes we do a little kumbaya at the end, you know, <laughs> which I really love because I love to hear what what people think about that experience and mm-hmm. if they can get it out in the moment. Then then it's like the best time for us because we're with them. Tears. She was just overcome with this transformation that happened with her and how the place affected her. I think she was in a hard place in her life, and it just like by the end she was. She was teared up and just sad to leave. And that was just like a 180. And that's like, you know, the instance of her being really scared and nervous and then just completely surrendering and letting go and having the time of her life. You know, I've had other passengers and I've been down with them at the water's edge in tears and they're just over, they're overcome with some of the experiences they have down there and they don't know why, why they're crying or why they're upset or what's going on. And I'm like, well, could it be because you're, you are releasing a lot of stuff and there are other places. I mean, I go to other places to have that experience for me, you Mm -hmm. know, but it's just a wonderful environment for those things to happen for people. To be a guide to facilitate that journey is freaking awesome. Of course, we all get hung up on the (laughs) the things that are not awesome about it, and it's really hot, and people ask stupid questions, and you did but... I thought you were maybe going to talk about, uh, (laughs) is it the rocket box? And cleaning the (laughs) groover. There you go, that's with the groover. That would be a place where people leave their excrement that has yeah. to follow you along the way, yeah, right? Yeah, that's definitely not the <laughs> glamour job. It's not all glory out there. No, I mean, just like anything, there's these like there's these terrible parts of it and, jo- and parts of the job that are just like, ugh. That's the stuff, you know, it, that as a guide keeps bringing you back. You know, that and being in Grand Canyon and being on water, period, are good enough for me, you know, for being a guide. <laughs> that's pretty good. Let, let's talk about some of the misconceptions because... I'm sure you get people that come in and expect one thing and find out it's very different than, yeah. than what they expected it to be, uh-huh. either positive or negative. Most of the feedback is that it's better than they expected, which is great, or also as good as they expected because there is a the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's got a reputation for being one of the best trips that you can go on as far as river, multi-day wilderness experience. So people have pretty high bar set. And luckily, we meet it a lot of times. The misconception that there's no sand down there. <laughs> <laughs> there was this one time, night two, and it was in the spring and it was windy as all get out. And they had just done a big pulse flow that spring, I think. So there was this fine sediment on all the beaches from when they flooded the river and it got really windy. All that fine sediment was just everywhere. And we were trying to cook dinner and, I was, eh, and his sand is just in every orifice. Right. And just dinner blasting. is 30% sand. Oh my God. This woman comes up to the kitchen and she's like, they didn't put sand in the brochure. <laughs> I was like, all right, next time we're going to send some sand back to the office to put a little sand in each brochure and stuff like that. People just don't understand what kind of environment they're getting into, that mm-hmm. it's actually like raw. This is not Disneyland. Or they think that it's managed with signs and campgrounds and or even like lodges along the way. We get a fair amount of that, that people think that there's like this lodging. Or they come on, this is a hilarious one, they come on a motor trip because we do the motor and the oar and sometimes there's some paddle and stuff, but they sign up, they spend a lot of money and sign up for a trip 
And then they get down there and they're like, oh, I thought we were paddling. I'm like, you signed <laughs> up for a seven day motor trip. <laughs> like, you know, things like that, that people are just. Do you specifically clueless. do motor trips only or do you do all? No, I do both. Yeah. It's been a good round to do both. Do you have a preference? I mean, if I could only do one ever, I would row. There's a lot of flat water in Grand Canyon. So if you want to go on a hiking mission, motors are nice. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the rowing is certainly more of a peaceful way to go about it. The motors are more difficult as I far as skill level. imagine they don't always operate properly. They don't always do what you want them to do. <laughs> and it's just, they're tricky, you know, especially at low water to get a big boat down with like, it's like a three ton boat with people and it's a lot of responsibility and you're at the mercy of a man-made motor. So it's stressful, but it's a kick in the pants at the same time. Don't knock it till you try it. Rowing is certainly a more, you know, zen like process <laughs> for, for the guide anyway. I think people have fun no matter what. Unless there's sand. Who puts sand in the Grand Canyon? <laughs> <laughs> Bad move. You are also known for the Huppy Bar, which as I understand it is directly linked to an experience in the Grand Canyon on a raft trip. Yes. It was accidentally discovered. Yes. Is that the case? Totally. So tell us what a Huppy Still Bar is. <laughs> tell, tell, tell us where the Huppy Bar is. Right now, people are like, what the hell what are they talking about? Well, maybe some of them are like, no, I eat them all the time. But those yeah. that don't are like, what the hell are they talking about? It's, tell us what a Huppy Bar is and how you accidentally discovered it. So a Huppy Bar is the best thing you'll put in your mouth all day. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a whole food, nut and seed based nutrition bar. Adventure inspired, I say. Well, life's an adventure and Huppy Bar is one of those adventures for me. So beyond just being from Grand Canyon, it's kind of like a larger picture adventure. But regardless, well, it started way back when I was a little kid and <laughs> <laughs> I made, the, I, I was always fiddling around in the kitchen, like making chocolate chip cookies and like tweaking the recipe to make all these crazy other chocolate chip cookies oh, and stuff. what happens if I put a toy. Yeah, a toy in, the, in cookie the cookie batter. Or like Reese cups or like, you know, just making these crazy, because I have a sweet tooth. So I just like to fill around. And I'm, I'm nutrition conscious. Like I brought my own snacks on river trips forever and made my own little things. And so this one trip, I had a bag of gorp, you know, with all kinds of nuts and seeds and some chocolate and fruit and cranberries and in my ammo can which are those, you know, the metal rocket boxes or whatever. And they're on the deck of the boat where right next to me. And I, it was a hot trip and in the mornings thing, things cooled down. So it had like melted in the day and the morning, that second breakfast hour <laughs> strikes. And then I reached in there and came out with this like big clump of gnar. Actually, one of the first names was Narbar. <laughs> it's this like conglomerate mess of goodness of my gorp and the, the started gnawing on that and thought, wow, I should just like put these into little patty cakes and bring them down and then I'll just have it all together in one little unit and I can eat that. And at the time there were, there were some bars out there for sure, but certainly nothing like what's going on right now and not enough to where I was like, felt like I had a lot of options. I started fiddling around and making my own with no intentions to sell it. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I should totally market these right. and sell. It'd be great. And you know it would be a great idea to complicate my life by yeah. trying to sell no. a bar. No, not even close. And so I just got at it, mostly for my own obsessions. And little by little, people started kind of gnawing at me like, you know, I got, I know a guy that could put this in a package and sell them for you. That's cool, but not going to happen. And then those are passengers on the boat with me. Yeah. Would you just bring them along and share them with passengers? Yeah, Is that totally. What I just wrap them up in saran wrap and have these like big hunks of gnar coming out and just gnawing on them. And then people will be like, what's that? And, well, it's my little thing. Oh, it's really good you should sell them 
nah. you know, that went on for years. I don't know. A boyfriend along the way gave me the nickname Huppy, which I resisted for a long, for as long as I could. <laughs> they, but you can't choose your nicknames. And so everyone called me Huppy. And they started calling the bars Huppy Bars because I brought them a lot and people wanted them. And so I would make them to share. And You mean it's not just because you're a huge narcissist that you named them <laughs> no, Huppy Bars? it's terrible. Actually, I'm kind of, I, I have trouble with that whole aspect of it, actually. But yeah, it just kind of naturally fell into that and the product and the name and one thing led to another to where it became this little project because I'm kind of a project person and I've always been that way drawing in from my art background and the science of like food and and just you know the social aspect of having like this kind of idea and things and expression and so it kind of wrapped up into this little bar as a project to see what would happen and my sense of adventure to see what would happen and where it would go and I didn't know what would happen. <laughs> I didn't know anything about how to start making it happen. <laughs> and that was part of the allure to me was that I didn't know. And so yeah, little little wheels started turning and fiddling around the name, got made a logo and put them in a package and eventually had some friends start buying them for a place up on the South Rim and I was like, okay, so they're getting sold on sold now. <laughs> You know, like this is cool and just kind of like chipping off at the block from there and trying to kind of stay true to what the whole nature of the thing is. And but at the same time, like giving it some juice that people actually know what it is and can buy them and then we can make more. <laughs> Put this thing out there in the name of, you know, living your life's adventures, I guess. It's not I wasn't like, I'm going to sell bars and make a million bucks. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to be the new I, cliff. I was like, if I was going to come up with a product for that reason. I don't know that it would have been an energy bar, but it's just been this fun little project. So what's your manufacturing process look like? Are you are you cooking these at your house and then you just have a whole room set aside for it? Or is it a different process than that? No, we have a kitchen. We have our space. We have a space downtown, Flagstaff. Been in there a couple of years. It's awesome. It's small, but mighty. We have a crew in there making bars. Are they there right now at this moment? Not at this moment, <laughs> okay. but they will be there tomorrow. There are lots of moments. <laughs> Not this one, though. Yeah, we've just got our little scene down there. It's all getting handmade right now for the most part. There's a couple little machines involved, but best thing you can put in your mouth all day, made by hand. Made by hand. Yeah, full caveat on there. <laughs> <laughs> that is happening. They're whipped up, packaged, and shipped out from that location. We oh, have a so couple all from the same location. Uh huh. Yeah, we've got a couple distributors and things, and but that's the fulfillment for online sales. Yeah, it's great. It's nice. Were there any weird roadblocks since this is a food product that you didn't expect, or any particular regulations you have to meet, or things mm, of that nature? Honestly, not crazy. No, nothing that isn't easily overcome. Or not easily, but like that we didn't overcome. <laughs> Looking back, <laughs> that's been one of the easier things to deal with as far as like kind of getting things set in place to how that's going to look because we have a relatively easy product to work with in that regard. So it definitely wasn't the biggest hurdle or anything. Is there a lot of eating the product in, in the, the kitchen? Office? Yeah. Mm, <laughs> not really. I mean, we, you know, it's a production facility, so you got to keep your stuff. But every once in a while, there's like a little bit left over and they got stuff for grabs. And they, I mean, but you have to do quality control, right? So you can't just like so assume that everything right. tastes 
perfect. You gotta like make sure every once in a while. Yeah, it's a great little space and we're getting things done and we'll see what the future holds if we, you know, thoughts of expansion and things like that. We'll just kind of see what happens. So how are they distributed right now? Can you buy these most anywhere or only in particular areas? There, there's a store locator on the website. So if you want to know specific spots, like we have a bunch of Whole Foods around Arizona, lots of independent gear shops and natural food stores um, around mostly Arizona, California, Colorado, Utah, like the kind of this little region, a few elsewhere in Ohio and up in the Northwest. And and then a lot of what we're doing is also online. There's a lot of energy bars out there. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's kind of a lot. And there's like kind of ridiculously amount of energy bars. (laughs) I've been really just trying to be realistic about that and what makes sense for this brand and what we're doing and, and the product. And, you know, I've gone some avenues that if I had maybe more resources to pull from could have maybe been an avenue I could have gone further down. It's a pretty resource intensive type of business too. So if you want to go huge, what I like to focus on at this point is to working with our customers, which is where the online thing is great Mm because we can interact with them, get to know them, and they get this great product delivered right to their door, which is a lot of fun. So, but both both worlds are in our wheelhouse and so the wholesale you know retail market and then also online deal and yeah so we're just kind of cruising people keep buying them so we're gonna keep making them (laughs) (laughs) how many flavors are there we have six did you start with just one yep chocolate berry love was the first one chocolate berry love (laughs) and then how did the other flavors come about the next one might have been the coconut date ginger my best friend kelly wanted a coconut flavor and (laughs) i i was like i hate coconut i don't want a coconut flavor but then I just kind of... You got to give in to I, what the market wants. I know. I was like, all right, listen to my customers. And so I, <laughs> I made a co- I made the coconut date ginger. It was like almost first try. It was just like, okay, that works. Let's sell that. And it's like been one of our best sellers ever since. That and then I think the apple was in there. And then the chocolate java, like those three kind of came together pretty quickly. And then I did this holiday thing, toss out a new flavor for the holiday season. And poinsettia flavor? Poinsettia, yeah, totally. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Aren't they poisonous anyway? Uh, oh, probably, yeah. Some little <laughs> red leaves mixed in there. No big deal. Yeah, I had like chocolate cherry and all these other flavors. And then the pecan orange spice was the winner of that little season's contest for new flavor. And so it's stuck. And then the newest one is the Arizona Trail Bar. Just rocks and dirt. It's just rocks because that's all we got here in Arizona. Just dirt, rocks, sunshine, hot. Makes you really get hot when you eat it. You're really selling this yeah, one, this new flavor. A little bit of Grand Canyon magic sprinkled in a little sand. Yeah. No, but it's super cool because it's the official energy bar of the Arizona Trail. Oh, so nice. a portion of the proceeds are going to go to the Arizona Trail Association. So the maintenance and preservation of the trail, which is an 800-mile National Scenic Trail goes from Mexico to Utah through Arizona. Badass. I, I busted my ass on my bike on part of it yesterday. Yeah, it's actually like right next to us right now. It features Arizona some some Arizona grown ingredients. They're not all grown in Arizona, but some. And then one key is the mesquite flour, which is ground up mesquite pods or beans, bean pods from the mesquite tree, which grows. It's ubiquitous all over the Southwest, especially in Southern Arizona. And it's a bean pod that's been eaten by people for thousands of years. And it's ground up. It's dried. Picked, ground up. Picked, dried, ground up. <laughs> What's the order? Just... How do they do it? <laughs> and then they, uh, that flour, it's like a meal. And then they can use that to breads, to make little tortillas, all kinds of stuff. And it's got a lot of nutrition in it. That is harvested in southern Arizona by the Tohono Odom tribe. They're harvesting right now. Oh, right this moment? Right. Probably today. Yeah, should we I mean, call them? Yeah, you should. Hey, double 
whole time. No, they're great. They're awesome. And it's like, it's supporting their local economy. Because this year I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to need more than we did last year. See, look at you. You were giving back at 19 on the trail. And I know. you're giving back with your food bar. Well, it's kind of, you know, you're, you're I, can't, a philanthropist. I can't help it. <laughs> but uh, it's fun. It's fun. That's the fun part. You know, like when you can do something that's actually benefiting other people beyond myself, I'd probably be pretty happy just kind of doing my own thing all the time. But like every once in a while I get these wild, you know, what's up, my you know what? And then I just got to like do it. And so now I've got this energy bar company and we're <laughs> so what have I gotten myself into? All right. So I know at some point you said, I'll have a great idea for a new flavor. Uh, yeah. And it was terrible. Is that, uh, is that the case or have they all been successful? Well, the Arizona Trail Bar, like the concept was there and there were some along the way that were not good. See, I had see testing is not always a positive. Sometimes yeah. you eat something that's disgusting and then you don't sell yeah, it. Yeah, it was, some of those were just not that good. Meaning they're just not that flavorful or whatever. Not that they aren't something you could eat. My employees, I've let them kind of take some creative freedom and make some make a batch glass. for themselves <laughs> once in a while. They came up with one with gummy bears. Actually, oh, I don't know if I want to divulge this, but they <laughs> no, they put gummy bears in there and then some other like some other stuff, and it that was actually kind of terrible because it was like the Huppy Bar like base nut and seed, and then they I think they might have put chocolate and gummy bears and cinnamon, and it was just like you guys, did you even think about how that was going to go? And I think they liked it. We don't have any new flavors really on the short horizon, but there are some. There's one that's been kind of underground favorite, and we'll see if it comes uh. to the surface at some point. Keep your eyes peeled for the top secret (laughs) secret. flavor that may come into existence and be available or may never. (laughs) (laughs) So send all of your emails. Give us a new flavor. (laughs) Huppy. So what's on the horizon for Huppy Bar and you Mm. personally? in the near future. I personally am going to be on a boat for almost 18 days in the short-term future. Hopefully there are some people to run your business while you are gone. There are. I've got some nice people to be doing some of that. We will have a little bit of a break, which my customers know about, but they'll, yeah, Huppy Bar will still be trucking along. With the business itself, my intentions are to just continue on our path and creating a high-quality product with integrity, growing our customer base, of course, interacting with our customers, Hopefully, continuing to put out inspiring content uh, through our social social channels, which is kind of you know one of the best ways to do that these days. As much as I'm struggling with screen time, so does that mean you have official Huppy Bar ambassadors? We do. We have ambassadors out frolicking around, doing cool stuff, eating um, Huppy Bars, eating Huppy Bars simultaneously, living happy. Yes, <laughs> doing incredible Highline adventures with a Huppy Bar in their mouth. And that could be things. dangerous. You know. It, I know. Don't choke, you guys. <laughs> Seriously, but and just kind of perpetuating that whole idea of fueling these you know adventures and they don't have to be these adventures where people are like doing the gnarliest stuff and going the biggest furthest distance the fastest and things like that like it's all about like perpetuating that idea that we need to get out and be active and our and proactive in our lives to make our lives better have that personal responsibility to take on our health and care for ourselves and each other i want to keep pushing that message and keep pushing happy bars into the world and uh, hopefully people will receive them and then continue to receive them 
and just kind of keep on our path with that and see where it goes. And in the meantime, take care of Huppy. You know, I've got a life beyond Huppy Bar, which I've kind of had to reel in a little bit and because things of the business can certainly take over if you let it. And so it's important to find those balances and pay attention to what your needs are as a person. Which is true for everyone, you know, and and this was kind of one of those times where I'm like, all right, like, let's do some happy stuff. And I'm actually doing a lot of biology coming up this next year, most likely. And then um, spending time with my awesome boyfriend, whom we've been kind of apart a lot due to our individual endeavors and things. And then just continuing to promote this idea, but also to just live the best life that I can, too. So doing a bunch of biology is about the vaguest way you could describe <laughs> whatever biology you would be doing. It's of my life that's just like, you know, this other thing. So, so what sort of biology <laughs> will you be doing? I'm biologizing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too sexy. It's a, if doing field work. Well, it's, it's pretty, it can be pretty fun. Doing mostly field work out in the Mojave Desert with, um, namely, the desert tortoise and work to be done out there anytime they do any kind of development or some research and things like that too but they need people out there to help with mitigation and things of that nature a lot of bumping around the mojave desert in my truck taking care of the tortoises so so you're a triple threat you're a (laughs) you're a bar manufacturer you're a river guide and you're a biologizer i'm a biologizer (laughs) all simultaneously uh, yeah so far we'll see what comes so if people listening are thinking Thinking, man, I hear that Huppy Bar is a great thing to put in my mouth. Uh huh. All day. I want. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go get one and put as many in my mouth as I can, but not choke while I'm doing yeah. exciting activities. Chew. Let us know where they can go to do that, but then also let us know where people can go if they're interested in hopping on one of your raft trips. Yeah. If they're interested in seeing what you're doing, and if they're interested in your biologizing. <laughs> See if you can remember so, all of those. Where do we begin? Um, well, Huppy Bar is H-U-P-P-Y-B-A-R, HuppyBar.com. So you can go to the website and that can just funnel you into anywhere you want to go. And Blog I'm going to assume there's there. Instagram, Facebook, We have Instagram that. and Facebook. I don't do really anything else. We use those channels. It's at Huppy Bar. Hashtag Huppy Bar, live Huppy. Info at Huppy Bar is the email. So info at HuppyBar.com. That can come to me. That's the easiest way to get a hold of us if you need anything. But HuppyBar.com, there's an online store there. You can order bars there. Which flavors should they get? They should get the variety pack. There's oh, no way. Nice. There's no way that I'm gonna say which one's better than the other one. <laughs> but some people like flavors. Some people like coffee. Some people don't. So some you know who like you. People like gummy bears and cinnamon you know mixed in with their bar. <laughs> I love when people are like, "Cut this coffee one. I just don't like it." I'm like, "Do you drink coffee? Do you like coffee?" No, I hate it. Then why did you? <laughs> you're not gonna like the coffee flavor anyway. So HuppyBar.com is gonna have like your, you know, that's gonna get you everywhere you need to go. Arizona River Runners is the company I typically work for. They have a sister company. Grand Canyon Whitewater. Can people request you specifically for their trips? You know, it has happened and it actually worked out this year, maybe for the first time ever. A woman did and actually got me on the trip. I only do a couple trips these days, so... I hope you didn't let her down. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I hope not. I know that for the last trip was a few years ago, so I don't know. Kind of old and weathered now, but just kidding. No, we had a great time. Actually, it was one of the better trips I've ever done this this last spring, so... So see, if you request her, you and Huppy will have the best trips best of your life. trip ever. Coming up, starting tomorrow. <laughs> Contact us. I am all about chatting it up. Or if you have like some really cool adventure that you want to go on and you need some fuel and you want to maybe give us a little snippet of, of a story about it when you come back that we can kind of share 
I like that stuff. Like I like getting the bars out there into people's hands to go use them. And then I love storytelling. So if you have a story to tell about it and then we can share that, then that's worth it to me. So I kind of throw that out there to people. And we have ambassadors and programs and stuff that people can reach out to us about too. And can people follow along on the biologizing or is that secret stuff they just have to find out later? (laughs) How do you know? Someone Uh, someone listening right now is like, all that other stuff they talked about, boring. It's not. I wish they talked about biology more. Tortoises are actually very, very, very cool animals. Um, But... I just keep that one to myself. <laughs> All right. So secret biology work, but you can follow at Harper, Huppy Bar and elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. There's enough going on. So what I like to do here yeah. at the end of the show is always put the put the guest on a spot. Oh, boy. Is there anything we haven't talked about you want to talk about really quickly? Uh-huh. Or is there a final thought you want to leave the audience with? Something profound. Oh, goodness the, the most wonderful thing you've ever said in your life. So profound. <laughs> I don't want to sound too cliche-ish when I say this, but it's. I think it's really important for people to try new things and to put themselves out there and to be passionate about something and to go climb those mountains, whether or not you think you're going to get to the top. But if you have an idea for uh, an energy bar, don't do it. Yeah, just don't just do just it. give send the idea to Huppy and help her out. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um yeah, that's funny. But just go for it, you know. Just quit don't, don't be lazy. Just get out there and do stuff. That's right. Get out there and do stuff and put a Huppy bar in your mouth. Just do it. <laughs> and with that, we will wrap this up. Thank you for joining me here at Buffalo Park. And, uh, thanks for being on the show. So I have personally tried every flavor of Huppy Bar at this point in time, and I am sure you are all waiting with bated breath to hear which are my favorite flavors. And Lindsay, you may be surprised to find out that the two flavors I liked the most were the Arizona Trail Mesquite and the Coconut and Date Ginger Bar. I know that that coconut bar was one that she was coerced into making, seeing as Lindsay is not a fan of coconuts herself. But I will tell you that you have a damn fine bar in both of those flavors. So if you're running out to buy Huppy Bar, can't go wrong with any of them, but I definitely say get the Arizona Trail Mesquite or the Coconut Date Ginger Bars. And now would be a great time to run to your internet machines to go to gogetoutside.com and check out the show notes for this episode 72 with Lindsay Hupp. There you'll find photographs and links to various places, including huppybar.com, where you can buy an Arizona Trail Mesquite bar of your own. Unfortunately, when you go to gogetoutside.com and look at this episode, you will not see video of Lindsay flipping in the Dubendorf Rapid because despite my best efforts, I could not find that video on YouTube. I came across other people flipping in that Rapid, but I could not find Lindsay. So if somebody listening finds that video and wants to share it, send it to us here with the show because I'd love to take a look at that. And how would you go about sending us that video? Well, there are a number of ways. You can send us an email, go at butcherbirdstudios.com or give us a call, 818-925-0106. You can leave us a voicemail or send us a text at that number. And if you would like to do us here at the show a great big favor and maybe give me a gift for my recently passed 41st birthday, then why don't you run to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you consume this show, subscribe, leave us a rating and a review, and share the show with someone who wants to listen to this middle-aged man talk to people about the outdoors. 
This episode of the Go Get Outside podcast was produced, recorded, and edited by me, your host, Jason Milligan. Additional help came from Griffin Davis. And as always, this show has been brought to you by Butcher Bird Studios. Next time on the show, come back November 16th. We will be speaking to Adam Haydock. He is an expedition cave diver, canyoneer, rescue technician, dive master, and photographer. So join us as we journey underground with Adam Haydock. See you then.